Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I am Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits into our ever-changing lives. <laughs> Good grief. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, we've already talked, and we've said we're going to jump right into your poll, but I got to ask yeah. you for just a second, what is your town like right now? Um... My town is is very very quiet right now. Uh, they we don't we don't have we have um, demonstrations. We have some protests, not right in my town, but in all the neighboring because we I border like Allentown and Bethlehem, larger you know uh-huh. Easton, like sort of larger set where people are gathering. Um, and it's been, you know, today there was a march that went from the library to the prison. And it's been very uneventful, however. I mean, there hasn't mm-hmm. been, you know, it's been powerful. It's been a lot of great stuff. I'm very close to Philly, which has been more, let's mm-hmm. say, eventful. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But here in general, like, you know, we don't have curfews. You know, Allentown doesn't even, like, even the places that are having some, except for Philly, of course. But but here we haven't had um we haven't had any of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You? Wow. We have a curfew. You uh, do? Okay. Yeah, we have a curfew. There have been demonstrations there. I, I don't know if I can say it's reached to the point of a riot at any point. There's plywood uh, covering a number of businesses downtown, uh, covering the storefronts. There have they are, been vandalized at this point? I are. Our newspaper is perhaps not the finest example of great journalism on the planet. And so I'm not super clear on that. The entire downtown is encircled by K-rails. You can't drive into downtown. So like somebody who wants to go get a meal at Russian River Brewing Company needs mm-hmm. to park out of downtown and walk several blocks in right now. Um, huh. Okay. Okay. This, this was the day that really got to me. I went for a ride early this morning and I'd already known that there were K rails, but I decided to do a little loop of downtown and just like how, how far reaching is this and how Mm -hmm. much plywood is up. And the problem I see is just that, uh, the more strenuous our response uh, to the demonstrations and protests mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. the more fearful people get. And that's mm-hmm. the one thing that I really don't want to come out of this. I don't want people's vigilance and fear to be ratcheted up around this. I'd rather see people's empathy ratcheted up. Mm-hmm. And I, whew, my heart hurts over this. Yes. Okay. That is how about that interview? How about that interview? Because you bring that up. And I, this is, this, in my opinion, is a great, great thing because 
you know, very honestly, I was walking around going, what am I going to talk about? Like, what are we, what are we going to talk about? Um, you know, because, but this is a thing about how cycling fits in our lives. And, uh, I was like, I've been having conversations with my friend, Elizabeth Allen, and, uh, I've known for, I have no idea. She's one of those people I, I, she just came into my life at some point. You know, those people that just sort of like, there's many of them in the cycling community that I can barely remember anymore. Like, where did you come from? Yeah. Um, but it's it's been a good 15 years anyway, for sure, that we've known each other. Uh, Liz is a cyclist. She's raced mountain bike. She's ridden uh, the Pennsylvania Perimeter Ride Against Cancer with us a couple of times. She was an ambassador for Live Cycling for a while. She has organized her own charity rides. They're actually a really fun one for the Valley Youth House, uh, which wow. is a home... F- yeah, yeah, which is a home and support service for vulnerable, abused, and homeless kids. So, super, super good cause. That's where she works. Super good cause. She's got a degree in broadcast journalism and sociology, actually. Um, mm. uh, yeah, and she's a Paceline podcast listener. So, <laughs> yeah, I know, which I was like kind of <laughs> stoked when I found that out. Um, Liz is also a black woman. And she and I have exchanged more than a few messages, as, as one might imagine, over this past week. Just, you know, she, like we do on lots of things, just sharing our thoughts, our frustrations, our hopes. And, uh, you know, Liz and I have the kind of friendship where we're pretty comfortable just talking really openly. We're both very direct people. And uh, so it's just really easy for us to talk about difficult subjects. And That's I, cool. I, Yeah, I really love that about her. So as I was banging my head on the desk thinking, like, what are we going to talk about um, with all this historically large upheaval in the air? It occurred to me that it would be great if people could just hear some of what Liz and I were talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like she and I are the same age. We both grew up in extremely white places. Uh, and honestly, as I was thinking about it, I'm like, how did this woman ever get into this white male sport? I mean, I had like, I was just like, all these years I've known her, I didn't know. Um, and I was like, was she always welcome? Like you make these assumptions cause she's always part of the group. Right. I'm like, you know, heck is a woman. I know I haven't always felt welcome, you uh-huh. know? So like, what is, you know, I just started like, what is her experience like? Uh, what is it like? So of course you know, I had these thoughts. Uh, it was actually in the showers. All good thoughts come to you. And I, I got out and I was like, I didn't want to be like, hey, I'm going to parade my black bicycling friend Liz onto this show because mm-hmm. the optics of that are that that's awful. It's, yeah. it's kind of gross, too. Right. Tokenism. So, yeah. So I sort of tiptoed into her messenger box and I was like, yo, you can tell me to go pound sand if this sounds terrible. But this is what I'm thinking and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, she said, I really appreciate you thinking about all of that. She's like, but I would love to. Um, so, honestly, you know, I think like it came out really great. It's actually pretty fun because Liz and I are both have a, we share a sense of humor. Um, and it was it, I was really enlightened. Like when I asked about barriers into the sport and I'll just shut up and let people listen. But I was honestly surprised at how simple some of them are, like mm-hmm. just stuff I hadn't thought of. that are just so simple. Um, so I'll stop running my mouth and I'll let folks hear our little conversation for themselves. All right, Liz or Elizabeth, as your mom would probably like me to say, um, <laughs> welcome to the pace line. All right. Thank you. So you and I are the same age and we grew up and went to um, high school, not far from each other. 
in fact, you being from Slatington, or I guess Northern Lehigh, and can you explain like when Slatington became Northern Lehigh for me? Because I've always wondered uh, that. Yeah, it happened in the uh, early 80s. The high school had fallen in disrepair. They actually had the kids still attending a high school that would had been condemned. Oh, uh, yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day when you could do that sort of thing. And um, they built a new high school when I was in sixth grade. So you're talking right around 1981, 82. And when they built the new high school, uh, it was no longer in Swadington proper. And so they expanded the whole thing to um, Northern Lehigh. That makes sense. All right. Well, anyway, you guys were major rivals. Um, Yes. Yes. From us on the other side of the river in Palmerton. Uh, but, you know, that's all right. Anyway, those were very, very, uh, I think it's fair to say, white places. And uh, I won't speak for your school because I wasn't there, but I know that mine was sure populated with plenty of people who had no problem spouting racist things, often very casually. Uh, it was also a place where very, very few people rode bikes. So this is a long way of me asking you, like, how the heck did you end up getting into bikes? So I got into bikes. I have to credit my father with that. Um, okay. And I honestly, I wouldn't know though where he got into bikes. And unfortunately, he's um, been deceased now for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he had been an athlete himself and it really been, he'd actually been a track star in Alabama growing up. But he got into bikes. And so this would have been in the 70s. Okay. And that was his thing. He'd actually even gotten himself a um, Italian road bike, which was, you know, the biggest thing you could do back then. Wow. And um, so that was that was his his gig, and he kind of brought me along for the for the ride for that. So I mean, to this day, I still wear Campanello cycling caps. I've noticed that. Yeah, he gave me one when I was about five. And uh, here. Yeah, I was five years old and I had one, and so I've had one ever since. So I've had about four of them now. Uh, you know, various incarnations as they've fallen apart over time, or I've lost them. Uh, but that's kind of where it started the interest in cycling. And then, you know, I was a, I was a tomboy growing up, and so I loved dirt. And that mm-hmm. was around the time that BMX had gotten you know big, and so I mm-hmm. wanted a BMX bike. But my dad was like, no, a real bike has gears. So <laughs> that didn't qualify. <laughs> no, it really didn't. So, you know, at the birthday bike, because that was still a big thing back then. And so, you know, he got me a 10-speed. How old were you then? I was eight. Okay. okay. Um, and then when I outgrew that, when I was 12, he was like, well, you need another bike. What kind of bike do you want? I was like, I want to be an X bike. And he was, again, real bike has gears. Um, but <laughs> what had happened was, Schwinn had just come out with their first version of what is now a mountain bike. Huh. Yeah. And um, I think it's the Schwinn Sidewinder was what it was called. And so the handlebars looked more like mountain bike, the MX mm-hmm. bike, uh, but it had, sh- it had um, index shifters at the time and, uh, you know, wide wheels and, and everything. So that was kind of, honestly, that was my adult bike. That was the bike then. Um, but I took the college because as luck would have it, I was five, seven at 12 and never grew again. So, <laughs> kind of like me. I've yeah. The same yeah. Life, not five, seven, but since, yeah, middle school. Yeah. I was yeah, taller so, than everybody until I wasn't. That's exactly it. I was a very tall, uh, 12 year old and then the rest of the world caught up around me. But, um, yeah, so, you know, that gave me the opportunity then to, you know, kind of write in dirt and 
where my parents moved us to in the Swainton area, we didn't actually live in the Swainton city, but it was a wooded area. And so, you know, it had trees and I was able to go and create adventures and have fun and, you know, have fantasies and, and, and things like that. That's um, cool. Yeah, so that's kind of where it started. And then cut to, you know, you go to college and you kind of put bikes away. Other than maybe now, you were in Vermont? Uh, Indiana. I went to Vermont Indiana. for grad school. Yeah, oh, I went okay. to, yeah grad school was, was in Vermont, but I went out to um, Valparaiso, Indiana, um, home of Orville Rettenbacher, huh? um, and to Valparaiso University, and um, which has its own interesting history with, with all of this in that um, it was owned – it's owned by Lutherans and originally run by Missouri Senate Lutherans. But prior to that, when it was up for sale in the early 1900s, it almost was bought by the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, my God. So, you know, commencement would have looked a little different. Um, you know, caps, gowns, hood sheets, you know, all would have looked a little oh, different. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, it's a part of its history because I actually researched it my senior year to really uh, learn about it. And it was almost a done deal. And at the last minute, the town itself said, we can't do this. And then the Lutherans, God bless them, swooped in and said, we'll buy it. Wow. Yeah. You know, so obviously I would have never attended Alparaiso had it gone the way right. <laughs> you know, it, it originally uh, did. But, you know, came came home and... Um, Unfortunately, when I was in college, I gained a significant amount of weight. And so when I moved out to kind of live on my own, I was like, I need to start getting in shape again. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of picked up my interest in bicycling and was like, it's a good way to get around. Um, but then also, you know, not only is transportation, but then also fun. And, you know, had a job where a guy was in the mountain biking. He's like, hey, I'll take you on some trails. And the First time he took me on any semblance of a trail, I was I was hooked. Wow, where was your first ride? Um, just some side trails off of the DNL. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so the DNL think, for people who don't know is like a, a rail trail uh, local to us here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. So originally we met at um, in Bethlehem at what is known as Sand Island. You know, oh, it's yeah. a little mm -hmm. little park, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. he took me up and down that and he knew a couple little side trails um, where there were like some, you know, rollers and things like that. And yeah. I just had the, 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 the best time. And that was probably around 1993, 1994. Wow. wow. Yeah. Not unlike where they have the cinder track races. Have you done those um, at all? Um, Stockton Valley Bike does that? Yeah, they do the cinders. I've been in the area, but I've never actually had an opportunity to do the, uh, the, the the yeah. 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 I, so I heard that. See, I, all these years, I don't know how many years, I don't even know how we met. I just remember you in the bike shop, but all these years, I didn't know this origin story. Shame yeah, well, well, I think that's, I think that's kind of what happens is, you know, you, you know, each other and you, you like bikes and, you know, and for better or for worse, you know, initially I knew you as the bike chick. Right, and, right. you know, through Bicycling Magazine. So in that respect, I was like, this is this person that I read about all the time. And then figured <laughs> out that, we don't, lo and behold, you were a human being. And it was like, yeah. oh. <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> right, right. You know, you get past those those images that you have in your mind. And then you kind of go, wow, she's a human. 
and she's rad as hell. And, you know, and I think that in our relationship, this kind of grew over time and seeing each other at, at events and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and things. Yeah, I was super, super surprised to, A, there wasn't that many women mountain biking at that point. Mm-hmm. And then to see a black woman mountain biking, I was like, who is this person? Like, like this is amazing because, I mean, truly a unicorn in the valley. There weren't, there really weren't that many of us. Yeah, there really weren't. And I think, I think I had adopted and kind of embraced the unicorn identity, you know, long before that, because I was always that one person that was doing, whether it was hiking or mountain biking mm-hmm. or, or any of those things. My mother still doesn't understand where I came from. <laughs> Mine neither. <laughs> So, um, so that kind of segues into my next question because I am able to sort of blissfully go like, oh, Liz, everybody loves Liz, and, you know, make all these assumptions that maybe aren't true. Like, maybe you aren't always comfortable. You know, maybe you've been in situations where you don't even feel safe. Like, so have have, have there been those times? I mean, there must have been. Um, I mean, sure. You could divide it up to, you know, there were plenty of times as a child that I didn't feel safe. You know, you kind of alluded to where we both grew up. And I mean, yeah, I experienced a lot of racism. Um, yeah. You know, we moved there when I was third grade. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking right around 1979. And I mean, there wasn't a year that went by that I didn't experience somebody throwing a racial slur at me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately, it changed my personality for many years to the negative because I went from being a very happy-go-lucky kid mm-hmm. um, to actually acting out aggressively towards people because it was the only way I could make them be quiet. Right, right. You know, um, you know and that's something that then in my adulthood I had to work and learn to harness in a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and really, you know, which just goes back to even my full-time work of being, being an advocate. But then even in cycling, you know, once I got into mountain biking, I started hearing about different organizations like Valley Mountain Bikers, which is, you know, kind of was the original club here in the Valley. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really kind of took a back seat. I didn't attend anything at first. I just followed their, um, like their, their web page and, um, the forum, because, you know, forums were the thing back before social media. Yeah, yeah. Try, trying to decide, is it safe for me even to, to, to go out? And then finding a ride where there are only going to be, like, a few riders. And thinking, right. if I start with a small group, then maybe that'll be safe and kind of checking that out, you know. What and was that so, first time like? Did you feel like everybody's staring at you? Um. A little bit, you know, I mean, part of it is I'm also an introvert and I can be very shy in social situations. So couple that with also the concern of are people going to realize I'm there to ride my bike too? Right. Um, You know, because there's been a lot of situations where the presumption is that I must not be looking to be doing what they're doing, you know, and so you kind of stay out on this side, you know, and, and. Thankfully, you know, and I can't remember who exactly it would have been, but, you know, there were one or two people that were like, oh, are you here for the ride? Right. And then you're like, oh, thank God. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and from then, you know, I created a small collection of um, honestly white men um, who kind of took me under their wing for a number of years. And that's who I rode with. They were my my crew. 
mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of them don't mountain bike anymore because a couple more older even then. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they were a huge part of my kind of coming of age in the initial part of being part of the mountain bike community. Well, that's great. I mean, that's, a, you know, that's, that's a positive for sure. Yeah. For, yeah. Um, and you raced a bunch around, like you went to, we've talked about, you went to nationals. What year was that? Uh, I went to nationals, geez, I think in 2011. That was Idaho. Yeah. I went to Sun Valley, traveled out there and then, they, I raced the two years that it came to Bear Creek since that was our right. home course. Right, right. Yeah. Um, hard and, years. Yeah. So hot. Yeah. <laughs> so, so hot, so brutal, so many rocks. It's uh, <laughs> where I learned that a dropper post was the greatest invention ever. Oh, how, did we even, <laughs> how are we here? <laughs> anyway. How do we still have peace? I, I, I actually have one that is still chipped from face planning at that race. Mm-hmm. Like, I got up and I had to ask, I think it was Evan, I'm like, are my chiefs still here? Because they went, no. Right. <laughs> He's like, you're right. bleeding all over the place, but I still see teeth. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah, the racing, I think, came for me, you know, growing up as an athlete, I had played uh, varsity basketball for four years. Mm. Um, I had done varsity track for four years. I had played competitive softball, uh, not for my high school, but I had played uh, that competitively from the time I was in third grade until I graduated from I actually played um, a year of uh, club soccer at Valparaiso. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and you know, so I loved sports and I loved um, competition. And yeah. then I learned very quickly that racing was a great way for me to travel with my bike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so initially, I mean, I was slow. I was nowhere near competitive. My goal was just not to finish last most days. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I was out there forever, I mean, because I was I was obese, I was not fast, but it was a way for me to travel. It was a way for me to experience different um, different courses and environments. At that point, I was unaffiliated, so I didn't have a have a team. I would just kind of go out there by myself and 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 take a chance. And I mean, you know, as much as I was initially nervous when I would go to a new setting, mm-hmm. the mountain bike community tended to be very warm. Oh, good. Um, I was going to ask if people yeah. were nice to you. Because yeah, I they, showed up they, at my first cross race, and I'm not a black woman. I'm just a woman, and I was unaffiliated, mm-hmm. and nobody even looked at me. <laughs> nobody even talked to me. <laughs> so I was just like... Yeah, I mean, I think, I think initially people probably ignored me. I mean, but no one was ever mean to me. Right. Um, that happened later, and that was more about bow culture. Um, right, right. Than, than, than anything. Um you, you know, but I think because, them. you make it all yeah. three of them because you were also heavy. Like yeah. how many isms? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of got the the trifecta of of, <laughs> of everything. But I think because I kept showing up, yeah, I gained people's respect, and so they kind of yeah. like, I don't know who this woman is, mm-hmm. but she has, but she has my respect, and that's kind of where it came from initially. Was that you know people started taking the time to be like, Hey, I keep seeing you out here. My name is so-and-so. Can I have your name? And that's kind of what, what happens because I kept showing up. That's great. You know, so yeah. So it was this image that kind of kept coming because, you know, we race in the, you know, in the mid Atlantic area. So Pennsylvania, Maryland, mm-hmm. Delaware, but mm-hmm. especially because it was mountain biking, really there was only ever one other 
black face that I would see in the scene. And he's a dude. Was that, was that Derek? It was Derek. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't even name and, him, right? <laughs> and, yeah. Well, and the first time I saw him, I was like, oh, my God, another black person. Because <laughs> there's this immediate kinship between you, but like you don't even know each other. You know, and you might not be compatible otherwise, but you end up with this weird kinship just based on on, on that. Um, sweetheart to end all sweethearts. But yes, I mean, yeah. I can totally see. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, thankfully, the mountain bike community was, you know, they were never rude initially. They were kind of ignored me until they realized that there's no point in ignoring me. And then they were very, <laughs> you know, and then they were very, very kind. Nice. Um, you know, and then I think I used that kind of as I became more of an ambassador of the of the sport, you know, not mm-hmm. only for for women, for plus size women, for women of color, and also big time for, for kids. Because, I mean, you, you know that my professional life is committed to mm-hmm. serving kids. A lot of kids have experienced homelessness, foster care, yeah. uh, things like that. So, you know, it was kind of bridging all those pieces of my very identity together. Yeah, yes, totally. And, and you were for a while an ambassador for Liv, correct? Correct. Um, when Liv originally created their um, ambassador program, mm-hmm. uh, I was one of the initial ambassadors. Excellent. Yeah. So I have to ask, um, mm-hmm. because you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's a big problem. And I think that's what people don't understand. Um mm-hmm. That, you know, I mean, I know as a woman that that there's just stuff that the guys, you know, at the magazine, in the industry, like, as hard as they may try, they don't, they don't know my experience, right? They they try, you know, even if they're trying, like, they still don't really know. And that's mm-hmm. why we need more people to be involved, because you, you know, when you live it, like, what barriers to entry in cycling do you see that me as a white woman might be just like blissfully oblivious to? Um, I think a lot of them that, that I see, um, I mean, cause there's so many, whether you're talking about socioeconomically with the, right, right. Cost of a decent, you know, of the cost of a decent bike, Yeah, you know, yeah. um, you know, I also initially work part-time at a, at a bike shop and I mean, the industry is kind of the point now where an entry level bike that is built well and safe is now about $430 and that's, you know, that's a huge barrier for, for a lot of, a lot of folks, um, which means you're relegating them to use bikes and there's nothing wrong with, with used bikes, but then Mm -hmm. making sure that it's a, it was a well-kept used bike, right. Um, to get that, that price point down, um, decent gear and, you know, on, on every level. So, you know, again, as a plus size woman, sizes are not big enough. Yep. And then, As a black woman, genetically, our body shape tends to be different even than a white woman's. Right. By nature, right. you know, and Asian women have a different body shape and Latinx women have a different body shape. And, you know, especially for, I would say, the black community, the Latinx community, you know, we have the, the tri- you know, the wonderful thing of large thighs and a big butt. And, you know, before that was, you know, popular. <laughs> uh, you know, women wanting to get implants for those things, you know, but it's hard to get that to fit correctly. I'd say the closest thing probably for white women to understand would be white women who are sprinters on the track. 
right. because because of the power lifting and the sheer power yep. they need, yep. their thighs end up being bigger. But their butt doesn't necessarily grow with that. Yeah, yeah, um, no, exactly what you're saying. <laughs> um, you know, but defining stuff. So what should fit doesn't. Um, you know, and then that hourglass shape. So then oftentimes if you can get it wide enough to fit your size and your legs, it doesn't fit in the waist. Right. You know, I think it's part of the reason why I fell in love with bibs, you know, back when they didn't make women's bibs. Right. Right. And I wore all guys bibs because I was like, okay, it all stays in the right places, you know, and fits. Um, and then the big one is helmets. Um, finding a helmet that fits correctly. So I have shorter hair, so my fitting a helmet for me is not hard. But, you know, by texture, our hair tends to be a lot thicker, a lot coarser. Mm-hmm. Uh, the styles that we that we use so that it is uh, manageable uh-huh. you know, and natural are things like, you know, braids, plaits, dreads, things of that nature makes it hard to fit helmet correctly. This is um, the stuff I mean. I would never... Like now that you say it, I'm like, of course, mm-hmm. but that's not, you know, that's just not yeah. something I would think I would think about. As right. You know, like on yeah, social media, um, I follow a couple pages that are primarily black cyclists and you mm-hmm. get a lot of um, black women who are just getting into the sport and they identify I'm brand new to the sport. Um, I just got a bike and what do I do about a helmet? And, you know, kind of talking about it and it's not about and it's all the brands. So it's the same issue. And so you start talking about things like, can we get you like a skull cap that maybe helps bring kind of compact things a little Mm -hmm, bit mm -hmm. ends up being the most common answer, Um, you know, and sometimes getting a bigger size, but then there's no guarantee that a bigger size is necessarily going to work. Um, I mean, a really good example of this is, my employee, uh, she is white, but her husband is black. And so they have two beautiful daughters with wonderfully beautiful, thick hair. And both of them, are, they're little. So it's like, they're like, mommy, I, I don't cut my hair. I want my hair to grow. And so her five-year-old daughter is the oldest of the two and has this absolutely beautiful afro. I mean, if I showed you a picture, you would be like, her hair is gorgeous. For them to get her a helmet that fit recently... Mind mm-hmm. you, she is a little tall for her age. She probably looks more like an eight-year-old. It is a women's large helmet. Wow. And there's and nowhere it, to go from there. <laughs> well, that's exactly it, you know. Um, and because they had to get her a helmet during the, the pandemic because her daughter discovered cycling through through all of this because they had gotten her a, a slightly bigger bike and she'd actually been doing the thing that had been going um, virtual viral where um, a parent had put training wheels on shoes to kind mm-hmm. of turn the bike into a train and she fell in love with that. So then she fell in love with riding outside and um, so they're like, all right, we've got to get her a helmet. And so they had ordered one hoping it would fit. And then it actually sent me screenshots and were like, does this look correct? And um, you know, and I fit a lot of kids for helmets and I'm like, yeah, but what size is it? And she told me and I was like, Oh God, you know, as opposed to when I work at the bike shop and I'm fitting, little girls oftentimes who are, are white. I mean, the biggest challenge is the, hey, mom, um, for her to wear a helmet correctly, you're going to have to make her ponytail a little bit lower. It's not going to be able to be right. like a high pony. It's going to have to be a low pony. Right. You know, which a lot of times kids learn how to do for themselves very, very quickly, you know, right. and they can adjust their hair tie and the helmet fits and that's the end of the day. But 
there's nowhere else to, to, to go. Um, you know, I see other kids where it's like their picture, you know, their, their parents are showing me pictures and I'm like, that helmet's not safe the way it's, it's on right now. It's, yeah, it's up yeah. too high, but that's what, what they've got. And I've seen the same thing with adult women where it's basically sitting on top of their head because it's right. only covering where their, where their hair is, but there's nowhere for them to go. And there's no right. brand that caters to right. that. Right. Right. And because nobody who is testing them would ever think of that because they're not, they're not, they're not black. They don't have that hair. Like, you know, that's, it's, that's where this stuff matters, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of yeah, like, I, I mean, I do a lot of work, as you know, in the women are not small men space, like, because for so long, everything was tested on men and like, it doesn't translate. And that's why it's important to get women into these things. So you can be like, Hey, most women are five, four, <laughs> you know, let's talk about that. And it's, it's the same thing. It's like, we need these, 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 this diversity and, and because it's important for, to, if you want to grow this sport. Right. Right. Exactly. And, you know, again, and this is the safety equipment. I mean, it's always the baseline right. is you, you got to wear a helmet, but what good is a helmet that doesn't fit right? Yeah, if it's just sitting on top of your beautiful hair, it's not going to do much for your skull. Exactly. Um, I mean, you're, you're, you know, your hairstyle will look on point while you're in the ER. <laughs> I, it's, you know, that's not helpful. Yeah. It's very enlightening. And I, and I, I appreciate you. I mean, I, you know, as we talked about this, like I really, really, really didn't want to be like, hey, I'm going to have my black bicycling friend Liz on this way because I just didn't want to come across that way. But I thought, like, who else? like to to speak to this stuff so well that in a way that I can't I could for you but that I don't want to do that well and and I appreciated you asking I me mean, cuz I think you and I you know as friends have had these conversations over yeah. the years and so it's the opportunity for us to share that conversation with with more people so I you know I appreciate that and I think you know how much I appreciate you um and what you what you stand for and the fact that you know you try to bring voice. And I mean, and that's about, you know, we've been talking a lot about allyship, but that's, that's what allyship is, is that, you know, I'm able to say, Hey, what about bigger sizes? Hey, what about helmets that fit? What about, and you're just like, and your response has always been like, I hear you sister. And then you start asking people those questions and you're challenging the brands and the companies to say, because you have a voice that right now I don't, which means then you're giving me voice through yours. And that's allyship. All right, Patrick, what do you think? She's awesome. Can we start she a is. fan club? Yeah, <laughs> she, she is truly awesome. She is, she is awesome. She was concerned. Liz, you sound great. She was concerned about her voice, and that's Elizabeth if her mother is listening. Her mother likes her full name, as many <laughs> of our mothers do. Um, but, I, you know, she, she wanted to, she told me she had dreamed of being like a color commentator for sports. I was like, oh, next time, next, next act, maybe you should do that, because I think she'd be great at it. Yeah, well, she's a very effective speaker, you know, so there's that uh, on her side. But, you know, she has a sense of humor uh, and she has a a broader perspective on how there are a variety of experiences out there. And Mm -hmm. so her empathy for others, I found to be really, really engaging. Every now and then I run across somebody who I think, you know, when they finally perfect cloning, we should drop their name in the bucket. <laughs> and Liz is clearly somebody, sorry, Elizabeth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> She's fine with us. I, I don't want her mom coming after me. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but clearly she's somebody that if we get around to cloning, yeah, let's, let's, let's do her. Let's make a few of her. Yeah. yeah. Half dozen so, anyway. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, for sure. Uh, uh, I mean, that clearly she's done some serious work. Okay. Uh, yeah. Her yeah. perspective on what some of her early childhood experiences were. And, you know, she alluded to, you know, anger uh, mm-hmm. and uh, perhaps a, a bit of taste for conflict. Uh, mm-hmm. And when someone moves beyond that, that doesn't just happen by osmosis or, you know, you have a one good long hot shower and it's done. Uh it takes real work and I admire her for that. Uh, and the fact that she can be such an effective bridge to help bring other people who are not built like me, more straight white guys, mm-hmm. uh, that she can be a bridge to bring others into the sport, to make it more diverse is just really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and you know, the, the, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll conclude with saying what's what's interesting and what maybe maybe I'd encourage other people to think about is that if you have someone in your life like a, a Liz, you know, don't assume that, that, that it's easy for them. Just be, don't don't assume that it's always been, you know, it's it's I think sometimes in our own little circles, we're just like, oh, that's whoever. And, you know, they're, they're fine. And it's always been. And don't they, they they've likely done a whole lot of work. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. all very likely doing a whole lot of work to make you comfortable. So, you know, just um, just keep that in mind. You know, like, this is not any but I, I, I'm not down with really lecturing, but I, I think educating is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've long made an effort that when I meet somebody on a ride who was not yet another straight white guy, I, you know, and I, hey, I'm a self-professed introvert okay i would Mm -hmm. rather not talk to most anybody um but i go out of my way to try to introduce myself uh to whoever that person is learn a little bit about them and do what little i can to try to welcome them uh into if it's the ride or the neighborhood Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. uh i feel like i've i mean there's there's more than enough of me yeah, I've got to do some work to help make it, other people feel more accepted and comfortable and welcome. Totally. Totally. I think we all could. I'm I am. I joke that I'm the most extroverted introvert ever, you know, so <laughs> like people have, think that I'm something else. But I have a, I have a hard time talking to people that I don't know. It's not my natural inclination. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who just like if you're in, li- in the line at the ski, wherever you are, she has made best friends. She's just talking. She's just talking to everybody. Mm-hmm. She, they know she knows all about their life like before we get on the lift and i'm just like i am not inclined to do that oh, but no. No. you know yeah. but i but i uh but i see you know i listen to stuff like liz's story and i think like it's people who are that help people like that feel welcome like it was those guys who were like hey are you here for the ride like simple little things like uh-huh. you know look at you acknowledge you exist like i'm bad at that with almost anybody because it's just like you know that's just not my it's not my, I'm not open that way all the time. And I'm trying to be better about that. Cause I do think it makes the world a better place. Honestly. Oh, absolutely. There's no yeah. question. I, I'm reminded when I was working on that feature about Memphis for bicycling, uh, what was this about two years ago, I got to interview the former mayor, AC Horton. 
African, African American mm-hmm. man, brilliant, uh, consummate politician would, you know, kiss all the babies if he had the time. Uh, and one of the things that really stuck with me was his strategic vision for getting the Memphis green line built. That's the bike path that occupies an old railway, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. bed. And he knew that in order to do this, he knew that it would be a great boon for Memphis, but that it would not be an easy sell. And that the only way that he was going to get it pushed through was not by talking to the, his African-American constituents about, hey, we'll have this great bike path, knowing that they're busy working two jobs. They're not interested in riding bikes. They don't have time for it. Instead, he sold it to them through the guise of, this will be wonderful for your children. And it was a way that he was able to connect uh, a city that doesn't connect very easily. Mm-hmm. And that strategic vision, that way to reach out and, and touch multiple populations and empathize with them, that was a view of, of being a politician that I've never gotten as close up before. And I walked out of that interview with him thinking, okay, if he runs for Senate, I'm going to work for him. Yeah. I was that blown away with the dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Just absolutely remarkable. He's another one. If we start the cloning, let's get his name in there. Right on. We're going to take a short break for our sponsor Shimano and we'll be right back at Shimano. We love riding and we know you do too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life. We encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano-equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears, and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What do you have for us? Well, before we get to my poll, I want to give a little update on last week's poll about my Uh, self-imposed challenge to ride. People had lots of ideas for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all of Annadale's legal trails in a single ride. So at this point, I've drawn at least a half dozen different routes. Uh, And then there were some others that I've sent to the trash. Uh, And something really surprising and interesting emerged in this. And maybe this is part of uh, what goes on for climbers who are putting up new routes. At a certain point, I began to get a feel for kind of the system of trails in terms of places where, you know, what sections would be okay to double track uh, or have to backtrack, that sort of thing, reuse. And 
at that point, I began to ask myself questions about what would I rather climb or, you know, which trails would I prefer to climb versus prefer to descend? Um, and would I rather do a certain trail early in the day when I'm fresher or later in the day when I'm hammered? Uh, mm-hmm. It became this really interesting exercise in, for lack of a better term, ride philosophy. Uh, so it's, it's been really interesting. My friend Romany calls this mapsturbating. Um, yeah. And it's incredible. My husband fun. does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I get him. I get him. I do. Uh, so it's, that's been a really interesting little thing. And I, I hope that other people have, you know, reasons to do that sort of thing and pour over maps and build new routes on Strava. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been fun. And I'm not through yet. <laughs> uh, okay. Now, uh, my real poll, I want to ask you, Celine, mm-hmm. what bike skills do you have that don't directly contribute to being a faster rider? I'm thinking mm-hmm. of things like wheelies, manuals, riding no hands, that sort of thing. I wish I, I have not devoted any time to be able to do a wheelie, but boy, I wish I could. I can ride no handed very well. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, I've always been proud of my ability to ride down the road, take stuff off, put stuff in my pockets, do whatever. Um, so I'd have to say that one. Okay. So I recently had a day when I went down for a ride and my legs felt okay enough. Uh, but you know, with our current life emotionally, (laughs) I just got to say, I felt so drained that my body felt off. I won't lie. Seeing plywood covering storefronts, having a curfew, hell, on Tuesday, my power was off for most of the day. Uh, and that was just a screw up from our utility, not anything to do with a riot or anything like that. But all this stuff together has weighed on me. Uh, and to be um, a cannibal with our, our audience, I'll also say I'm overdue for a K-hole. Uh, I, <laughs> I need to do some personal work. Anyway, when I got downstairs with my bike and I realized I just didn't have a ride in me, no matter how easy, I just started farting around with the bike in our driveway. One thing I love doing on a bike is a track stand. I Mm. spent the better part of an hour just working on my track stand. Okay, I should back up a second. There are any number of skills that don't directly contribute to me being able to ride my bike competently, but can, I believe, in certain instances, serve me well. Take, Mm -hmm. for instance, riding no hands, okay? I think those all work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could ride my whole life and never learn how to do that, but mm-hmm. it is handy. I've had bees and other bugs fly into my helmet mm-hmm. and I've been able to sit up, take my glasses off, unbuckle my helmet, take it off, run my fingers through my hair to make sure whatever is in there or was in there is gone. Likewise, I've had a few jerseys with zippers that are stiffer than steel rebar and I've needed mm-hmm. two hands to be able to adjust or the, uh, adjust my comfort level. The track stand is another handy skill because there are times when we have to stop short because someone fell. A light Mm -hmm. turned red and we decided survival is kind of nifty or maybe because we hit a rock while mountain biking and the bike stopped dead. Being able to do a track stand, if only for a second or two, can give a rider the opportunity to clip out and get a foot down instead of just boom falling over because we aren't moving. I tell you. Being a cyclist is not like being a shark. Most species of shark can't breathe if they aren't moving, 
but a cyclist doesn't have to be moving to stay upright. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, I first began working on my ability to do a track stand in the summer of 1997. I was at Ragbri when I thought, hey, I'm going to start. I've got a week. I'm going to start, you know, every intersection. I'm going to try to do a, a track stand for a second or two. And then, you know, I got that under my belt. And the next big thing was learning how to roll the bike backward in addition Mm -hmm. to forward in order to maintain my balance. Probably another 15 years went by before I mastered the art of doing a track stand seated. Mm. That's that's been a relatively recent thing in my life. Um, And but that's when things got really interesting. So I've begun to use the seated track stand as a kind of meditation. To hold one for more than a minute, I have to still my body. I have mm-hmm. to calm my breathing. I have to focus my mind. In the middle of a ride, it can be a terrific way to bring my heart rate down and relax. More recently, I've begun to work on the no-handed track stand. Mm. <laughs> I'm finding that easier to do on a mountain bike than on a road mm-hmm. or gravel bike. But I definitely need some sort of slope. Even so, I, you know, I've managed to hold one for more than a minute now. That's good. I think it's kind of cool. I was stoked. (laughs) Now, before I go thinking I'm all that, there are riders out there who can do a track stand with no hands and only one foot. Okay? Fixies. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay? I've still got a long way to go. And (laughs) I did, I started asking questions. (laughs) I managed to hunt down the world record for a track stand. Which was more than 21 hours. 21 hours. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 21 hours, 43 minutes, something like that. Uh, At which point I put any thoughts of trying to set a world record out of my head. (laughs) I don't want to have to worry about how I will eat or how I will answer the call of nature. I can't even. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing is. Interesting to see video of that. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't watch the whole thing. I might have it going on my screen in the background and just right. look up, you know, like time over lapse. time and just be like, oh, look, the guy's still standing there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, I, something that did occur to me, I mean, there are so many world records that are set for various charitable efforts, you know, raising mm-hmm. money. That's what got me to thinking about it. Uh, I, I should put it out of my head, though. but still like the idea of like trying to do something long and raise some money would be kind of cool. That might not be for me, trying to do a 22-hour track stand. Uh, I, no, no. Uh, the first oh, you time, mean something else. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like, the first time I need to answer the call of nature, it's like I'm off the bike. I am. You would not be a good triathlete. You just just <laughs> let it fly, man. You got, you're going for something. It's important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nope. Not built for that. Not so have someone hose you down. Have Romney out there hosing you down. <laughs> <laughs> she might be the only person I could talk into that. I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Turn the GoPro off for a few seconds. <laughs> um, but, you know, on a more relevant, I don't want to say serious, but on a more relevant <laughs> note, the big thing here is that for anyone who feels like they want to stay close to home or are flagging and motivation, Working on skills like these gives us a chance to be on the bike, which almost always feels like a respite from the rest of our lives. 
while giving us something to focus on rather intently. Mm -hmm. And I've also noticed that when learning new skills like these, I can't really let my mind wander. So right. it became, it becomes a great right. way to be fully present. Yep. And you know, who knows? We might learn something that prevents what would otherwise have been our next crash. I know. I think it's awesome. And honestly, I think that cyclists don't do enough of that. Even mountain bikers. I don't think that we do enough skill sessioning in mm -hmm. general, you know, like other sports do skiers, skateboarders, surfers. I mean, you see a lot of people spending time and technique and, and other stuff. And we, we don't tend to do that. We tend to just go and ride. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think there's all that stuff, no matter what it is, track standing, wheeling, manualing, no hands, like all of that makes you a better rider. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, this is probably something for another poll, like a whole poll of its own. Richard Brine, the inventor of speed play pedals and the first mm -hmm. wind trainer, uh, he was responsible for overhauling the skills of a great many riders on Team CSC. I recall that. Mm-hmm. Well, who was I the, who was the Dave Zabriskie? Dave Zabriskie was the yep. one okay. yeah, who really needed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard was watching him on TV and saying, Dave doesn't know how to descend. Right. You know, he could, he could see it in his form. Yeah. I actually got to attend one of Richard's skill sessions. So, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe that's another pull sometime. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, that's super cool. And, you know, the, one other little thought is that I... Uh, have these little binoculars and uh, I have put them in my bike bag a couple times when I, when I'm not feeling it. Like I actually didn't even change out of my cycling clothes and just hopped on my bike with binoculars. And I went like to the park and looked at wildlife and stuff. Like there's, it, it, you can expand what you think about doing as a ride mm -hmm. right now in many ways. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, this is a good time to think about what else can we do as riders uh, since we're not pinning numbers on, that's for sure. Yeah. And it just, it, it's, it's good. It's good. It, it's, it's deepening your relationship with your bike in ways <laughs> that you might not have ever done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I dig that. I don't have yeah. any binoculars, but maybe that should change. That's good. It's kind of cool. It's kind of uh, cool. Yeah. Okay. All right. <sighs> Paceline picks. Sure thing. Um, it has been pushing the mid 80s here now. Uh, it's been pretty hot. So it is a good time, I think, to talk about polar bottles. I think you might have. Did you mm -hmm. get also some polar mm -hmm. bottles? Yeah. Um, I love, love, love insulated bike bottles. I am a. I have always been a giant fan because I there's nothing grosser than lukewarm bath water when you're on a hot ride, like trying to drink. Hot lemon lime is not a thing. Oh, I really, and it really discourages me from, from drinking. I have a very <laughs> hard time um, choking down. Once, once it even turns a little tepid, I, I don't love it. Um, so I have always been very, very grateful for Polar Bottles. And they've been around 20 years, I think, you know, at least probably. Nine, I can't longer, longer. Yeah. I got my first one when I was at Bicycle Guide and that ended in 99. So I didn't know they were bought by Hydropack oh, yeah. in 2018. Oh. Yeah. I had, yeah. I missed it or I forgot it. I, 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 might I have saw heard a press it release. It, it, to to it. me, um, it's but they like, have okay, ramped the line. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, oh, yay. Yeah. 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 Um, so the bottles are now uh, triple insulated 
and they promise to keep your fluids cooler twice as long, but I have not done a test. I have not put an old <laughs> one on my bike and, and the new one on my bike to, to test this out. Um, but they do indeed work for hours because I have used one for a long ride and there's no question that it works quite a long time. Uh, there's a new nozzle that self seals, which is kind of a nice touch. So even if you knock over the bottle, it doesn't drip all over the place. You know, even if you haven't technically pushed it closed, it still yeah. isn't going to leak, which is nice. You know, certainly if you pack it into a bag and it's squished and it's not closed, but, but still it's, you know, that's, that's another problem in of itself. The nozzle is also easier to remove so you can clean it a little better. Mm. I have some polar bottles with some, they have some I had to chuck because the tops were not not very good. Um, so that so that's all good. And they're also a little bit better shaped for bike cages and they're more squeezable. So, I mean, I think those are all really, really nice upgrades. Still the same things. BPA free. Uh, they I read the little they have a little um, blurb that you can customize them too. I think they've always had that program, hmm. but that, that you can like if your team because we've had them for the perimeter ride. The, uh, we've gotten special bottles made, but it's uh, like 360 degree wrapping capability mm-hmm. that, that looks pretty sharp. So, yeah, I mean, the they're available in 20 and 24 ounce versions. I have been using the breakaway 24 and it's 15 bucks and I think it's totally worth it. They are they they are really great to have on hot rides. One of the things about insulated bottles is very frequently they're stiffer than other bottles. Yes. Yes. And uh, I did a little test of uh, a Camelback bottle, one of their insulated bottles versus the new polar bottle. Uh, Unfortunately, my bottles arrived the day after it went up to 94 here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Anyway, I did a little squeeze test and yeah it's definitely softer than the camelback bottle yeah um, not quite as soft as a regular uninsulated bottle but it's not, i don't think it's gonna get it, there and that's fine it but might you can be still the squeeze most it. squeezable of the insulated bottles so there's something in that yeah um, and it's grippable too i mean that little um you know circular indentation like the little that helps quite a bit like because especially when it because it sweats because it's cold like I've had that, you know, I've had that sort of issue too. So it's very hot and your liquid, the bottle is cold. So it gets, it does sweat. And now I've got sunscreen and slimy fingers and a bottle that doesn't have any tech thing to grip on. And, you know, this is a recipe for not good things. So like, it's, I'm glad that they have that. So it's easier to hold on to. Yeah. Very cool. Well, yeah. my pull is for something that goes in that bottle. Look at this <laughs> working in tandem here. Uh, this is entirely accidental, but maybe it's just w- a matter of what's on our minds right now. Um, so uh, you recently did uh, the Scratch Lab Sour Cherry Chews. Yes. Well, what I didn't know until I went to Scratch Labs to order some of those Sour Cherry Chews is that they have a new flavor, Strawberry Lemonade. I did not know they had a new flavor. Oh, my gosh. Is it uh, good? Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. I'm somebody who can really get fatigued of flavors. Me, me too. I get palate fatigue terribly. Well, I I don't so much suffer from it out on a ride. I'll be able to get through the ride not having problems. But I will be standing in the kitchen and look at the Ziploc envelope and go, no, I cannot. <laughs> Not today. No, I understand. I understand that too. Yeah. And so at any given time, I will have two or three different flavors of things 
yeah. uh, open and ready. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, now I've got this new thing to add to the fruit punch flavor that they have. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of the others, the uh, green tea, uh, 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 my favorite matcha green tea and lemon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I'm a fan of all those. This is a nice addition to it, uh, especially if they're going to take away pineapple, those bastards. Oh, uh, they are taking away pineapple. Oh, it's done. It's been done. Oh. I ordered like five envelopes. That's ah, a bummer because I do like, yeah, I do yeah. like pineapple. Well, and that's one of the other things. It's like everybody does lemon lime. Everybody does orange. Mm-hmm. I've had so much of both those flavors in my life. I don't ever need to have them again. So yeah. I'm always yeah. looking for something that's not orange or lemon lime. So I, I'm that way with fruit punch and I don't like fruit punch. So like I... Everything is, I'm not a big fruity flavor person and Mm -hmm. everything is so fruity, you know, like it's hard to sort of get away from that. That's why I love that matcha green tea. Mm -hmm. So most fruit punches lean on the berry end of the flavor spectrum. Yes. Uh, Scratch Labs fruit punch. uh, I'm trying to think of, it's a, it's a variety of fruit punch I have tasted before you know, that, that flavor symphony, but it's shifted more toward the citrus end of things. So it's a different fruit punch from any other fruit punch mix you're going to get out there. Okay. So I might, I'd be willing to try it then. And the strawberry lemonade leans, which way? It leans toward lemonade. It doesn't lean on the strawberry, uh, but it's lemonade with a little extra something. And okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of those things where the, the taste is so well done that you aren't you aren't incented to put more mix into your bottle just so you get the flavor a little stronger. Mm-hmm, it's done mm-hmm. right. So that at the right concentration, it has a really lovely taste. Yeah. And I bet it's really good. Ice cold in a polar bottle. Uh, I'm probably going to find that out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, everybody. Thanks so much. Uh, this is a weird Weird time, huh? <laughs> it is, uh, but we're getting through it. We're getting through it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you doing anything fun this weekend? Um, we are turning to yellow tomorrow, but I don't honestly. We have the we have the color coded system, so right. we are like my area has left red. We're going into yellow, which technically means I think we can ride with a few friends again. So that's exciting, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. I, I kind of broke it this morning and went on a road ride with another friend this morning, figuring like, eh, you know, I'll celebrate mm-hmm. Yellow Eve, maybe. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that that's that's pretty much it. We were thinking about maybe going to Central PA one of these weekends and doing some uh, recons for future unpaved things, you know, so that might be on the docket. But yeah. Cool. Yeah. You? Yeah. Uh- I, I'm still trying to work out what my weekend's going to be. I was thinking I would do the big Anadol ride this weekend. Um, I'm sort of wondering if maybe I should let my legs recover a little more from all the pounding I gave them last weekend and maybe mm-hmm. wait one more week before doing that. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, you know, I, right now I'm realizing that rather than challenging myself big time, I need to just take care of myself. Sometimes oh, challenging myself is a part of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm playing it day by day. I really am. Wise words. I yeah. think that we're all, we're all cycling through that kind of feeling and just go with it. I, th- I think that's the best thing to do right now. Yeah. Well, everybody keep those questions coming. 
you all are sending great stuff. Uh, and by the way, the the various messages and emails that we get uh, that thank us for being here. Thank you for being there. So it's it's very two way. Uh, if you've got an idea aside from a compliment, uh, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in our comments. Don't forget the Paceline kits from Primal. They're up in the RKP store. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Paceline.